0: but we're going to talk about water today we continue to look at thin places because that was obviously a thin place for you and i've been there before i think most of the times though that i've noticed the stars have been in mountains i started thinking of that Uh, i love the sea but for some reason i remember the stars in the mountains more as we look at this uh, series on thin places i'm taking liberty here about four years ago almost exactly i preached this sermon almost exactly this sermon But most of you weren't here, uh, if we've understood our our membership roles correctly, or at least half of you weren't. And those that were here would fail a test on it, so we're going at it again. (laughs) One of the thin places in Scripture is water. There's so much that goes around water in Scripture. It's a motif. It starts in Genesis 1, and it flows, literally, through the entire Scripture. Its meanings and metaphors are twisting like waves, and moving about like rivers in our hearts. Jesus meets a Samaritan woman by the well. Moses gets water from a rock. Paul is shipwrecked in a storm. And, and Jonah, anyone? We could keep going. There are happy times and sad times around water. There are spiritual times and fearful times. But I want to take you to a specific incident that we don't talk all that much about, but I think we really need to understand what was going through their mind when they saw the river. The river. The people of Israel had been released from bondage by God and the ten plagues and Moses and going through the Red Sea and then the Mount Sinai and getting the Ten Commandments. We know that story, but we we often don't talk about the fact that it doesn't take 40 years to get from Egypt to where they needed to go. It doesn't even take a whole year, and they got there. And they came up against this river, the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is an odd river. It's not like the Mississippi that you would think of a a straightish kind. It moves about like a snake. It moves so much. And a couple of times a year, flood season hits. And it'll just churn. It'll go over its banks. It, It becomes no longer a predictable river. The banks are iffy. You don't know where they are or if they would hold you if you went in. They come up against this river, and it's not a big flood season when they come up against it. But the people say, We know God says we can cross the river and, and take the land, but we're not so sure. We're not so sure about God yet. We've only been with him a year through ten plagues and all the other. He hasn't shown us that much yet. So they send in spies, and the spies come back. Ten of the twelve say, Nope, can't do it. People on the other side, too mean, too tough, too big. Their giants were grasshoppers, we're out. God did not. Appreciate the doubt. And he made them turn around and go back into the desert and wait for 39 years. Listen to this carefully. They had to wait till the doubters died before he would let them go in. I work a lot with churches and some of the churches are in free fall and crisis and they're, they're just in really bad shape. And other ones are really, like last week, really fantastic churches. They just want that little extra push to go a little bit further. But every so often, I have to look across the table, and I say, we're going to have to wait until the doubters die. Because the doubters are in charge of the progress of this group. And I'm looking at them when I'm saying this. And they're, they're shocked that I would say it to them, but then again, they don't know me Um, I am shy and retiring, I guess, but no, if you ask me to tell you, I'm going to tell you. So now they come up again, and everybody in this group knows that their fathers and mothers failed at this river. Everyone knows they were raised in the desert because their parents wouldn't cross the river. Oh, but it's more than this. The Israelites didn't worship rivers. Most people did back in that day and time. The Israelites did not. However, they believed that there were beings in the river. If you read in Scripture, there is a constant mention of this beings and beasts and demons and gods in the river, because everybody else around them believed it. And the Philistines, who were on the other side, certainly did. They believed the Jordan River, especially in flood stage, protected them because their god, the god of storms, Baal, was in the water. And anybody who did not worship Baal, anybody who was not one of his treasured Philistines, if they stepped in the water, we swept away, and then demons would grab them below. It was a terrifying, terrifying moment to step up to that river. The Israelites again, believed that their God was supreme God, but they did not believe he was the only God. They knew there was a God in the water. They knew in their heads and their ways. This is a demonic river. But let's step away from the river for just a moment, not 39 years, but just a moment, and think of our, our first water story in Scripture. It's in the first chapter. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. You know, if I could write a sentence like that, I could retire. That's an amazing... That's like writing Stairway to Heaven. You don't have to do anything else. Go home. Cash the checks. It's coming. Chaos. Fear. There's no human beings. But again, when you see the storms, chaos and a moving... Have you you ever uh, looked up at the stars, or have you ever studied any of these, like Neptune or Saturn or Jupiter, and they'll talk about this storm, this little dot you see is a storm 5,000 miles wide that has been going for thousands of years. You go, wow. The Spirit, however, comes and hovers. Contemporary English version of the Bible says it this way, the earth was barren with no form of life, It was under a roaring ocean, covered with darkness. But the Spirit of God was moving over the water. I think what we miss about this passage is its raw drama. The ancient Jews, again, all other people did as well, believed that spirits lived in the water, and those spirits were not good. If you go about into almost any culture, you will still find these stories. In Scotland, you had the kelpie, the water horse. No, that wasn't Nessie, the Loch Ness. That was another thing. We only see her when the tourists drop a number and we need to get them back. And go, oh, look, oh, you just messed her. Oh, but, you know, here, have a cup of tea. Uh, but it's, it, it, it was a water horse. And if you go now to Dundee, they put this up after we moved back to America. There are two massive horse heads, sculptures. Look for... Kelpie, K-E-L-P-I-E, Dundee, and look for images, and they're just an amazing sculpture, the water horses. But other people had spirits as well, snakes and demons and the like. Every well had a spirit. Every well had a demon or a saint to bless it. They watched the water, and they were fearful. But you need water, and that love-hate relationship with water can puzzle us, except there are some people that they, they need water too, but they're terrified of swimming, terrified of oceans. I had a couple of people say, we'd like to go on a cruise with you, but we're terrified of, of sinking and drowning. And I said, you know, that happens all the time on cruise ships. I, if, I, if I could just count, it, it never happens. But look at it this way. If there's chaos, chaos below, if fourth avenue's in the ship, the Spirit of God is hovering over the water. So, uh, we, uh, no, no fears here, people. And besides, we're Church of Christ. We're not afraid of water. That's how we start our career. Uh, we... But I'm getting ahead of myself. Here in the creation story, they see this water. They know they need water, but they're desert people. They don't swim. They don't go to the beach and have a holiday. That's scary for them. Most of the sailors, and you can overstate this, But most of the tribes and peoples of that day, when they sailed, tried to stay within sight of land and would work their way along coast rather than go into the middle of an ocean. For as the old maps used to say over the blank areas, here there be monsters. The Philistines thought their god was a god of water, a god of storms, so they'd be safe. They and the Israelites are about to discover something different that our God, Jews' God, was also a God not only of desert but also of water. The psalmist would celebrate this fact while referencing the old stories of demons in the water, saying this, But you, O God, are my king from of old. You bring salvation upon the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monster in the waters. It was you Who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him as food to the creatures of the desert? It was you who opened up the springs and streams. You dried up the ever flowing rivers. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. And we read this and go, what? What monster? We missed that part. And who's Leviathan? How does he just show up here without any backstory? or information I love to read mysteries but there are certain authors I will not read anymore because you you have they they drop the red herrings in other words oh I think it's that guy oh I think it's that guy I think it's that guy last chapter they in, they introduce a brand new character and he did it not fair <laughs> not fair you got to play by the rules of the game and here we're going Leviathan who's Leviathan Well, the Jews didn't write a great deal about Satan or demons, certainly not in comparison to the people around them. People around them wrote, that's that's a huge amount of what they wrote about. But the Jews did believe that those beings existed. But they looked upon them as false gods. I love the way that God refers to them in the Old Testament. He says, gods that recently appeared. They just showed up and said, we're gods. I wanna warn you about thin places. I love thin places. I love that constant weaving of the thin places throughout the day. But please remember we're not alone in the universe. And not everything out there likes us. Be careful where you go for a thin place. That's why people will say, Well, this isn't really, you know, demonic. You're just playing a game. Or we like to watch the movie anyway. And I'm going. Let's not sidle up too closely to the dark. For as Nietzsche said, when you look into the darkness, the darkness is looking back at you. Be careful. The Jews had reason to be afraid here, but God reminds them he can wrestle Leviathan, a serpent that lived in the waters to them. He can crush its heads. And even at creation, God brings peace out of chaos. the river Jordan is in chaos. Water was a symbol of the chaos of Baal, but water was also the symbol of life from God. Which story is going to win? There's another thing we need to talk about. Everybody wants to tell your story. Everybody. Have you read social media? You're a Christian? Let me tell you your story. You're uh, in politics. Uh, in the current tragedies that have been rolling our country if you stand on this side i'll tell your story if you stand on this side i'll tell your story everybody wants to paint you with a big brush and everybody wants to tell your story but you are the world expert on who you are you tell your story god says which story are you going to embrace into your story a story of fear A story of Leviathan might overthrow us or a story that says, our God's bigger than your God. Back in the day, I'm told that young boys would look at each other and say, my dad can beat up your dad. My kids never had that option. They could say things like, my dad will sternly disapprove of you at a distant quietly, but he shall do so. Feel his wrath. But that was about it. Wouldn't it nice to think our God can beat up your God? Because our God is God. Paul says these other gods are demons masquerading as gods, and they can, they can really do some tricks. Leviathan was a demon. And we're reminded by the psalmist I took care of that, God says. Let's move on. Why were they at the river again? Because they didn't remember the lessons of the ten plagues. They didn't remember the lessons of God bringing them water through the desert. And now he's saying, are you going to, which story are you going to hold on to? Which story are you going to take? There's a, there's a great story in the universe right now. that says, once upon a time there was nothing, then it blew up, and now we have pandas. You can hold to that story. I'm reading a book right now. On a, by, written by a physicist trying his level best to convince everybody reading it that nothing once stretched a bit and then it rolled it around and it wadded upon itself and collapsed and then blew up and now we have us. Okay, that, that's worrisome because whenever you ask your husband what are you doing and he says nothing, that's a potential explosive sight or you can have another story and bring in God. But water was more than a symbol of rebellious demons to Jews. This might hit you more. It was also a symbol of depression, anxiety, mourning, and grief. When a psalmist was depressed, and he was often, many of God's favorite people were depressed. He portrayed God as allowing the waves of the sea to wash over him deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. You ever been in the ocean? First time you've been in? If you've only done lake swimming and pool swimming, the ocean is a bit of a challenge when you get out there, because it wants to knock you down. And once it knocks you down, it wants to play with you on the bottom there for a while. And if you're not used to it, it is quite violent and a bit afraid, especially on the Atlantic side. But you want to go to the Pacific side because that's colder, and it's full of Californians. So you want to be you want to be on the other side of that. If you're from California, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. You're from no, that came out wrong. Um, we, we're glad you repented. And I, no, hang on. Uh, we're glad you're here. Welcome home. And I doubt you'll be back. The um, <laughs> Let me put it to you this way. I'm an old preacher. I won't be here that long. Hang around. All right? It gets better. When the psalmist is rescued from what seems to be certain death, he phrases it this way. The cords of death entangled me. Have you ever been wrapped up in something? The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. I love that phrase. He rescued me from my powerful enemy. See, the enemy is the waters. The waters are depression. The waters are the people that oppose him. The waters are his anxiety and his sleepless nights. And he's saying, God has pulled me out of there. Isaiah would use the same symbolism to describe what happens when God removes his protection. And the demon gods are let loose upon the land. In that day, they will roar over it like the roaring of the sea. And if one looks at the land, he will see darkness and distress. Even the light will be darkened by clouds. I'm a big fan of native people doing uh, ministry in their nations, but most nations uh, that that don't have our blessings need a head start and 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 a hand up. And so Americans are wonderful about that. But people that were sent, especially in the early, the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, to Scotland to be missionaries didn't last long. And there are a variety of reasons. It's a brutal country to try to to evangelize. But one of the reasons is that their wives and the men would often get depressed because of winter. Now, some of you are talking about, this winter has been so long, I agree with you. I will not laugh in your face. But let me take you on a wee trip. It doesn't get colder than here in Scotland as a rule. The temperatures are rather moderate. It's more like a 30 degree uh, cold. And in the summer, it gets all the way to a toasty 60 or 65. But it's dark and windy. Howling wind for months. The sun coming up about 10 or 10.30 in the day. But that's all right. You won't see it. Kids going to school with flashlights. And coming home with flashlights, because around 2.30 in the afternoon, the sun goes down again. And it's dark, if your windows are rattling the whole time. And for some reason, some people don't care for that. We always say, hold out for summer. Last year it was on a Tuesday, and it was really pretty. <laughs> the darkness, the light will be darkened by the clouds. There's a real um, affective disorder called seasonal affective disorder. It's a real thing. And he's saying, I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to be lost. I'm going to be overwhelmed. Because when God walks away, the darkness rolls in. Now do you see where John gets that chapter 1 of his gospel? He works off of this. And in fact, he works with light and dark and water. He tells a lot of water stories. Look for those in John. He's influenced by this metaphor more than the other gospel writers. All of Psalm 124, by the way, if you want to read all of it later is a story of how God delivered us from the evil brought upon us by the flood the flood and floods in our lives the gods of the water don't go peacefully they fight back the ocean rises O lord the ocean rises with a roar the ocean rises with its pounding waves the lord above all is mighty mightier than the sound of raging waters mightier than the foaming waves of the sea and I love the way that split. Hold that up there. Love the way that split at the end. Because sometimes it's not the waves that knock us down and drag us along the bottom in the sand. And it's not the waves that depress us. It's the sound of them and our fear. We have fear before the event. You ever been worried about something happening? Of course you had. Did it change it? Nope. If it happened, your worry didn't help you a bit. If it didn't, you wasted all that time. But the sound terrifies us. We wonder what the sound means. Well, Isaiah celebrates that we have a God that will get us through this. There was another being, another uh, demon masquerading as a God named Rahab, not the one uh, in in, uh, Jericho, Rahab. By the way, she would have been named after that demon. Think of this. That story gets more and more complex. God killed that God named Rahab that lived in the waters. And Isaiah says, strike again. Isaiah 51, awake, awake. Clothe yourself with strength, O arm of the Lord. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep? Who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? And and Melinda, I think some people could use this kind of stuff for their prayer and add this to the book. I'll leave the notes up here for a small fee. No, they'll be there. And, um, and Laurie Lee will post them online if you want to see these scriptures. But they're just a taste. There are scores of these that we will not have time to look at. But when we want to go to this God, one of the reasons we want to go is when you're there, you're safe. You're safe. I can remember when we lived in West Virginia, I wanted to take a a, a course there at West Virginia University. Didn't need the degree or the course, but just it was a subject that interested me. And they called me into the uh, registrar's office after a while, and they said, you take courses pretty much everywhere you go. And I said, yes. And they said, we've been kind of compiling those. Uh, You're only two courses away from another degree. And I said, really? What would it be in? And they said, "Well, it would be in uh, basically general studies and linguistics. It'd be a bachelor's. Do you want another bachelor's?" And I went, "Not really, but I kind of like to take a couple courses. And if that comes with it, okay." So I decided to take an easy course. I'm really good with languages, so I took Spanish. 101. Wrong. <laughs> Completely wrong. Because I, I know I know French. And they said, "Oh, if you know French, Spanish is a doddle. It's easy." couple problems. One, they would answer, ask me a question in Spanish, I would understand, and I would respond, and they would look at me blankly, and then I realized, and I just spoke in French. Uh, that was, It was such a confusing thing, but there was more. There were the other, the, the freshmen, and remember at this stage, I'm already late 40s, there were freshmen taking it named Julio <laughs> Esperanza, and I'm looking over at them going, this is so but there was, there was something that happened that was very strange. Never happened to me before. I'd go there early, because I'm an early man, and I'd sit there, and the pretty girls would come in and sit around me. This did not happen any other time in my life. So I was thinking, what is it? Am I a late bloomer? Is that what happened here? So I went home and told Cammy. I said, I'm not sure what's going on here, but the pretty girls sit by me, and she goes, Patrick, you're safe. Oh, and you know, on second thought, I probably shouldn't have told that story, it's not even in the notes. But one of the reasons we go to God is because He is where it is safe. Go where God is. Psalmist says, Psalm 32. Let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. One of the reasons you should pray, even if you don't feel like praying, and if some of you don't feel like praying sometimes, I won't tell you something. I get that. I'm there too. But why should you pray when you don't feel like praying? Because when you need to pray, you're going to need to have the habit down because you're going to lose words if you don't practice now. You need the Psalms. You need books of prayer. You need to be listening to Albert pray. You need to be getting the words because when the time comes, you're going to need the words. Think of the number of times water miracles and water stories punctuate scripture, creation, water from rocks, Red Sea, Jordan, storm stories in the gospel, I love John Ortberg's take on that, and we'll look at this later, but he has a wonderful book with a fantastic title. It says, if you, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of your boat. An amazing book. But if you want to get into heaven, you got to cross the Jordan. There are a lot of songs about crossing the Jordan, and they're, they're wonderful. I love them. I kind of collect them. But there's another meaning to this. These people were standing at a place and they were afraid. They had not seen the splitting of the Red Sea, most likely. They were babies or were born in the desert. They had not seen the plagues. They didn't have all of the stuff and evidence that their parents had. And God was saying, will you step into the Jordan or not? Will you trust him or not? Before they could claim Israel again, they had to confront their own demons and step into the water. They had to show their faith in the living God and step into the water. When you carry the Ark of the Covenant, the place of pride was right up front. But that's not a place of safety. In Vietnam, for a couple of years, Point Man, when you were assigned Point Man, You were not expected to last more than three days. It was an honor, but it's kind of like getting one of those birthday cards from a TV weatherman that you've hit 100. There's another side to this. You're out front. Will you step in your water? Will you face your demons? Will you be the one in front? Will you walk into a territory that you believe with all of your heart is controlled by an evil, false, demonic being because you trust that your God is greater than Baal? What if you didn't have to do it alone? What if, what if God wouldn't leave you there just on your own? Mark, go ahead and bring up the team. If you would, what if you had a family that walked with you? What if you had a worldwide group of believers cheering you on? What if you had, Hebrews tells us, a cloud of angelic witnesses cheering you because they know you can do it, they know what's on the other side, and they know what you don't, and they're saying, get in the water, get in the water. horrific slavery that existed in america had a side effect of producing some amazing songs as the the black people who had no hope no citizenship and no right except for that they found in faith in god they would sing songs like crossing a river wade in the water to indicate there's hope beyond there's escape beyond You don't go alone even into there. The Bible says, if you believe and are baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Who is hovering over the waters of baptism? The Holy Spirit. But when you go in, he's not hovering anymore. He enters you. He walks with you. From then on, every time you face a Jordan, you are not alone. For the God who takes away all chaos and fear encircles you. Would you stand please? Choose your stories well. Choose where you stand because there are thin places you do not want to be near. And there are those that you do. But everybody here has a personal Jordan or two or three or more what is that Jordan what do you have to put your feet in and walk in to show that you have faith in God is it a particular relationship you're in is it a particular uh, amount of money in a, uh, a checking account is, is it a house Is it wh- whatever it is if it is anything that's keeping you from full faith and life in Christ wait in the water walk in The Spirit of God is with you, and He will change your story. May God bless us and help us face the water.